Laura Hyman is my guest this week. She's an inspiration to me as a yoga instructor and as a woman. As a yoga instructor, she taps into her years of experience as a physical therapist, creating a practice all around functional movement, healing your body with your movement, and thus leading to longevity in your movement practice. She is also a huge supporter of women, all about supporting women, celebrating women, saying that we should all as women be celebrating each other, uplifting each other, and coming together to use the power of our collective to make the changes that we all want to see happen. I am so appreciative that she took the time out of her vacation in order to sit down for me with this interview. You can find her on Instagram at Lara, L-A-R-A, dot Hyman, H-E-I-M-A-N-N. I realized that we forgot to tell everybody where to find her. In her links in her Instagram profile, you will find her connection to her website, her schedule, her new online platform that she's created. I'll also have all of those links available for you in the show notes. So you can just click right through to be able to find her there as well. It was in such an enjoyable conversation. I hope that you love it as much as I did having it. And thanks for joining us this week. Stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks, and I'd like to know, what's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. Today, I welcome Laura Hyman. She has been in some form of movement for most of her life. She also has a background in medicine, and she was an athlete and a dancer. She's graduated from Duke University with a BS in biological anthropology and anatomy and an MA in physical therapy and worked as a physical therapist. Then she began teaching yoga in 1996. Lara's passion for yoga transformed into a career and sparked a personal mission to help her students find their source of inner strength. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. So would you tell me a little bit more about... How long did you work in your physical therapy practice? I worked in a variety of settings from the time I graduated uh, from graduate school. I started in a rehabilitation setting and worked with mostly neurologically impaired patients, clients, and got so into that. I, I originally thought I'd be going and working with athletes. Having been an athlete myself, I thought, I'll do sports medicine. And then I went the completely different direction and was working with older people and neurologically impaired. And it was so fascinating and interesting that I did that. And, and then after about two years of that, went and got a postgraduate certification in what's called neurodevelopmental treatment, which they don't even offer anymore. It's a two one-month stint of really, really exhaustively thorough neurological training for how you work with people who've had some kind of neurological insult. And then I did that and loved it and continued doing that until for another five years. Then I left that rehab setting, not for any other reason except my, my husband and I biked cross country on a whim. Some, somewhat of a whim, <laughs> and <laughs> couldn't con couldn't keep my job because we left for three months, and this was a time where it was hard to. Uh, there was a there's a, actually a saturation of physical therapists, believe it or not, and it was combined with some Medicare changes. So 
I think all of this was, you know, there's always like divine timing. Like there's no other time in my PT history where there had ever been even a, a thought that I wouldn't be able to come back to a job. I mean, there's so many jobs. I get I get job offers like four to five a month. I was going to say right yeah. now, I mean, they're, they're oh, looking for PTs. Always. And that's always been the case that during this time period, during this, there were some major Medicare cuts. And so if you leaving a job and I had a higher, I was a, really almost at a supervisor role, leaving it at that level, they were not going to guarantee me coming back. They just look at that as like oh. somebody else will absorb all the stuff I was doing. So that kind of thrust me in the position of working for myself, which was the best thing. And I've never, that was 20, it'll be 20 years this summer. And I've never worked for anybody else. So I just started <laughs> working in clinics for people, but I was per diem person, a contract. So I did, contract. yeah, I did like about 20 hours of sports med. And then I would do um, home care with very involved neurologically impaired patients. And so that I did that as I was teaching yoga. And this is really when I started to merge the way I was teaching my clients at home to how I was teaching my yoga students, you know, in the studio. So I'm assuming then that you were working with some stroke patients. Yes, primarily stroke patients, some brain injury, some like traumatic brain injury patients, but mostly stroke patients, like 80% of, of, of the insults in the brain were from a stroke. I worked for seven years with a local PT and an OT who sought me out to help them with stroke patients and brain injury folks and um, oh. people that have had joint replacements. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of yoga therapy that way. It was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Yes, and absolutely. I don't, I don't know what your experience was, but one of the best PTs in, in my area was working on an older lady and she was sort of like kind of crying and moaning through the whole session. And I walked into him and I said, do you mind if I spend a couple minutes just talking to her a little bit about her breath? Because I suspected she was holding her breath mm -hmm. and making herself feel more pain. So we spent just a couple of minutes just working with her breath. And all of a sudden she looked at me and she looked at him and she said, my body feels different. Mm. And I said, I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, it doesn't hurt so bad. And I said, well, you know what happens when you hold your breath? It holds the pain and it holds the body in a tight space so that you can't release. And she's like, I had no idea. Mm. So then I thought, don't they teach PTs that when they're going to school? Not, not necessarily. I mean, every school is different and every physical therapist is different. You know, it's like sometimes you'll go to a massage, um, any, any body worker, and they'll have like right. a certain thing and you're like, wow, versus some other ones are just fine, but they're not, right. you know, it's kind of like more generic. And PTs can be the same way. They can kind of look at the diagnosis and treat just like what they see in front of them or what the card says that, you know, is their issue, but really, really good ones and really good schools. And I, I feel like my school really prepared me in this way. More than anything, they treat you, they, they treat in a very integrative approach, the whole right. body. And yes, of course, yeah. the breath would be a big part of that. I mean, posture yes. is such a huge influence on your breath that it would be like just to look at somebody and look at their knee and not look at how they're holding themselves or how that affects their breathing right. or their gait right. would be like, I just feel like that would be remiss. But we, our medical model, unfortunately, has really kind of like chopped us down into little puzzle pieces. And it's like, here's a, here's the knee and, you know, do the range of motion for her hip. But 
not looking at this full and I, I just you have to look at the whole thing. That's what holistic is. And that's why I do know I'm practicing in a holistic way because I would never just look at a part or a system. Finding you on Instagram was I would I was started watching. I was like, oh, my God, she's speaking my language. I got so <laughs> excited because a lot of what I teach and how I move and what I do is because I have my own busted up body parts and I've had to learn to move through those things. And at my age, I want to be able to stay as active and mobile and independent for as long as possible. And for all of those years of stuffing my toes into point shoes and doing all of that, I mean, mm -hmm. I have things and it's like, you can't just look at it as one piece or another. It's, it's the whole part. So I started doing some stuff with somatic movements and functional movements and everything. And I had people going, that's not real yoga. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I, I wonder, have you, I mean, have you ever had comments like that made or? Oh, yes. I mean, I actually just, it's funny because I was literally just getting interviewed for another, for a magazine and they were asking like what I saw, saw the future of yoga being. And if I, was I teaching a kind of, was I, do I call myself a yoga teacher because I'm teaching a different style? And so that's kind of like two parts, but in answer to your question, yes, I mean, I, when I started, I've done it both ways. So I can really speak from that kind of pulpit of like, I was teaching more classical vinyasa and really left my PT brain or hat off. <laughs> um, truly, my brain was off too. <laughs> you know, um, no offense, but you know, the classical vinyasa model is like nonsensical from a functional mobility standpoint, but yeah. I taught it for a while. And I, you know, and I had these moments of like, but it's, we do something with yoga where we put it in this like kind of gilded box and, you know, and, and act like it's be sacrilegious to like move outside of the box. So when I started doing that, I had, fortunately, I had a small group of very, very fanatic regulars, and I was, I had a home studio. I had left a very large, big studio when I had my daughter, and just, and I happened to have a home studio at my house, and it was great because it was like my first laboratory. So when I started changing the way I was teaching, I had a small group, and they yes. were like, hmm, I'm not sure I like this, but let me give it a try. And, you know, within a few months, they were like, this is amazing. I feel the difference. I, and all the things that I was feeling for my own practice. It was then when I started going and teaching at other places that some of it was like the teachers usually are the worst. The yoga teachers were like, oh, this yeah. is in yoga. You know, this is like, this is like just doing aerobics or just like doing fitness class. And I was like, Okay, well, I, whatever you want to call it, I like it. And I, and I, and the people that I teach really like it. And it's actually a more holistic and integrative approach because I'm kind of challenging the concept that you don't have to go into a pose in a particular way or hold right. it in a particular way to be yoga. Right. You know, it's actually how you practice with an open mind and a curious mind to be more integrated. And then what that actually does for you off the mat, which is way more to me, the description of what a yogi is, is exactly. how they act in life, you know, like how you act on the mat, forget it. I don't really like actually how you move on the mat tells me a lot about how you might move in life in every in way. Lot, yes. Like, yeah. are you paying attention? Are you spacing out? Are you aggressive? 
are you, you know, kind of like slugging through, like I showed up, but I'm not really showing up. It's kind of like, well, you probably are like that in your life. If you're kind of half-assing here, <laughs> I bet you're not like full on in life, right? It's like, it's a, it's a little picture of what you do and ha and so the people that are open-minded, like uh, love it. So yeah, I've had that question a lot, Sherry. Not so much anymore. Uh, what I've said to a lot of yoga teachers who are now teaching in this kind of, I don't even know what to call it. I just think it's a smarter way because they're looking yes. at what does our modern day body need for the long run. Like you said, I want to practice for years. Yes. And it's not going into in range of joint motion and holding it there or like pushing the capsules and these soft tissue structures. It's more about how are, can I move in a freedom, like freedom. Yes. Do I have freedom in my body? Because when you've seen people who don't have it because of an injury or a like a oh, brain yes. injury, you never take it for granted again. So I think I always have that in my background. Like even though that's a very dramatic example of not freedom, I want to always be on the other end. Like I can get up and I can move and I don't think about pain or limitation or anything. It just feels free. And I think that if you go from that perspective, you can't go wrong. And that's truly to me yoga, because that means that you are not driven by your ego, but it's driven by your spirit. And you said the key words for me is an open mind and a curiosity about your body when you step on your mat. And it's what I tell my students at every class is I invite you to let go of where you were the last time on your mat, what your expectations are that you think your practice should be, what it was, what it is, and be open to what your body has to tell you today with a curiosity because it'll have a lot to tell you if you're paying attention. Absolutely. And and if you get out of your own way, it's amazing what can happen. And I talked about this in other podcasts, but it's, I see people who walk through the door and they're not even living in their body fully, right? They're yeah. behind themselves. They're off to the sides. It's either physical or emotional or mental pain that's keeping them from being in their body. And for those who choose to stick with it and come regularly, I can actually see them come into that integration and actually come back into their body. You know, that's always been the key for me is one, how do I feel about the whole thing? And two, what am I seeing going on with my students? And for me, that's always been the, the, the driving force of continuing where I'm at. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing is the response you get back from not just your body, but from your students is that's your, your guide in terms of this. And I don't mm -hmm. believe that that's wrong or incorrect, but I got to tell you, I've never met a more judgmental group of people than <laughs> yoga instructors. <laughs> True. It is really funny because I think, you know, I'm kind of on the other end where I'm just like leading uh, or as m my, my endeavor is to lead as much with curiosity. Like, how can I be a better human being? How, cause really the movement is just the, the practice of how to pay attention. Cause people are just, like you said, they're, they're not embodied. They're not paying attention. They don't even know they're not like living in their body. And your body is your, is your, easiest entry into your inner landscape and dialogue and everything. So yeah, for me, it's like practicing that is the most important thing. And yes, challenging yourself through a physical practice is awesome because the challenge is, can you stay there? Can you literally stay with that yes. challenge and not have this like, oh shit, this is too much. I'm going to give up. Again, the, I, I would argue those that same kind of attitude is really reflected in life if you are a kind of like giving up or 
or having this kind of inner mean dialogue with yourself or feeling mean toward the teacher, whatever it is, it's like, it just shows you the stuff you need to work on. And, um, you know, if you're stuck with a this way or the highway kind of mentality, it's too rigid. That was the word that just popped into my head when you were saying that is, you know, that those people, they're fighting for control somewhere in their life. Mm -hmm. And so they think if they can master their body and be in control of that, but it's like you've, you've lopped off a whole section of being able to listen intuitively to what your body has to say yeah. and, and live in that space. And it's amazing to me what happened. I mean, I walked into my first yoga class 26 years ago and it was an Iyengar class and there was props and, the old dancer, the old ballerina in me went, ooh, body placement. I like this. Right, and we got exactly. into a pose and we held it for a while. And the instructor was so great about what's going on with your knee? What are you doing with your hip? How is this moving up your body and reflecting in your shoulders and your neck and your head? And it was like, you know, this whole thing of body placement that to me was second nature from mm-hmm. dancing for so long, but being approached in a totally different format that was incredible. So I stuck with Iyengar for a lot of years and I tried to take some vinyasa. I took a workshop from Shiva Ray and and she's beautiful, but man, does she move fast and you slide through those poses and you never know if your body's in the right place. And so I just, I wonder about stuff like that. And it cracks me up that someone said to you that that's more like fitness yoga because that's not it at all. What I see is that you're actually asking people to warm up their bodies progressively so that they can then move into moving into a bigger space. Exactly. And if you don't do that, I mean, I can't tell you how many yoga classes I've been where the first thing they say is, okay, inhale up and forward fold. And my hamstrings are going, but, but wait. Wait, I'm, hold I'm on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. I know. Right. It's not, I mean, yeah. Modern day life, unfortunately, a majority of people aren't ready for that. And that's where we have to, we have to pay attention to what we're doing in our lives and how it is different than 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, five years ago. I mean, like everything has an impact on the way we move um, and the way we interact with each other. Like, and we're, we're changing. It's the first time in, in our evolution that we're changing it such a rapid pace. And to think that we should be stuck in a form of yoga that is, this is the way or not, is just not, it's nonsensical because it's not how our society is right now. We are changing and that doesn't always mean it's all great, but we have to see like, what is it that we actually need more of now? And what I see, unfortunately, I have the privilege to teach hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. So it is like a laboratory is that People need connection. They need to, un- they need yes. to be able to, yes. you know, hold themselves together. Like it is astounding to me. I've worked with people in their twenties and, and early twenties, you know, substantially younger than me and my peers who are profoundly weak in their postural muscles. And yes. it, and it shows up in chronic back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, headaches, blah, 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 blah. But it all is, they're not integrated. They're, they don't have any core strength. And I'm sure 20 years ago, we didn't necessarily have to work on the core in the way we do now. But the fact is, we do. It's just, I, it's just too many people are not. It couldn't just be a coincidence. <laughs> well, I see it as so many more people sitting 
for a oh, long yeah. period oh, of time totally. than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. I am fall prey to that in my full-time job. I, mm-hmm. you know, I spend a lot of time sitting in front of a computer and sometimes I forget that I have all the knowledge and all the tools to take care of myself. And then I have to take my, you know, it's like, okay, coach, here's what's going on. <laughs> right. Yoga teacher, heal thyself kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that it's fueled by that technology piece and how many people are tied to devices, whether it be television, mm-hmm. whether it be computer, whether it be their cell phone, whatever it is, that those are forming whole segments of their life and keeping them trapped in patterns of movement that are not necessarily healthy. And my demographic that I deal with is mostly midlife and older. Um, I don't see a lot of younger people in my classes and that's fine. Those are the people that come to me and say, I have, you know, my, my knee hurts or my hip hurts. And then I watch them walk or I ask them questions about what do they do in their day or blah, 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 blah. And then give them a little bit of, you know, we'll try this and let's look at this. And almost to a person, they come back and say, that changed my whole life. Amazing. I can remember when I went through my teacher training 17 years ago that there wasn't much conversation around fascia. And I am a fascia fanatic these days. I yeah. love learning about fascia. And that is so, that totally changed everything for me when I started learning more about fascia and how to take care of the body that way and how to pay attention to that. Watching you on I, on your, you know, you're just your one minute post that you do on Instagram about moving the whole shoulder and instead of using the arm, you use the shoulder to start the motion so that you're working with all of that fascia that's on the back line that tends to get locked up. And it was like, Ooh, good. Those are new good words for me to be able to use. But that that's the key is like, we have to target those areas that people either overuse or underuse. Exactly. Because of, of how they're living their lives. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I know you're, I know you're one of triplets. Yes. And that all of you are in the wellness and the healthcare fields, supporting other people's. And did I hear you say at one point in time that your dad is a doctor? He is. My dad's an orthopedic surgeon, a retired orthopedic surgeon. So years of hearing about all kinds. I mean, and he, he was an orthopedic surgeon in the day when you did everything. I mean, he would talk to me about a back surgery or, you know, I remember to this day, I don't put my hand out hand out the window because he came home one day and told me about a guy who had his arm out the window and it hit a tree and got dislocated. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, Thanks, story, Dad, for yeah, that. the lawnmower, you know, the, the day back in the day when you had to pull your lawnmower and people would get yes. sticks out, everything was exposed. Now they make it really hard to get injured or harder. He did everything. He did nerves and bones and of every part of the body. So he's, and my parents are super intellectual. So he wouldn't just like do it, but he talked about the body and he, he talked about sexuality very early on too. There was never any weirdness with that. It's so funny to talk to so many people as an adult and how little, and you know, having children now, how few of them had any conversations about sexuality with their their parents, never brought up anything. And, you know, with my dad, he was such a, he, he's just so open hearted too. Like, you know, sex is like, is a beautiful thing and you have a beautiful body and this is your body. And it was never like not talked about, but it was just talked about in a way that was just normal. And I think that's what happens when you're very comfortable with the human body. And so I'm really grateful for all of that because I always had such an appreciation for the body in all the ways. So I never had any of that weird shit people (laughs) 
have around sexuality. Well, you know, I, it's, it's so <laughs> funny because I, I started a new monthly series for the podcast called Topic Talks. And last month we talked about um, shame and I had a couple of other yoga people on and we were talking about shame. And one of the topics that came up was, did your parents have the sex talk? with you and my parents that that was we didn't have that conversation but by the time my daughter came along you know she she would make a couple of comments about things and i would say you know honey it's okay for you to enjoy it too (laughs) (laughs) and 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 you 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 really want to have a partner that makes it so that it's enjoyable for you as well it's not always going to be 50 50 but you know you do the best you can yeah but it's just it's interesting to talk and even people that you know these girls are are younger than i am and i was sort of surprised oh i know well i did this whole thing when i was for a brief amount of time i took my kids to a unitarian congregation because i wanted them to have a little experience of a of a community and the unitarians especially in princeton where i am Super, like, talk about curiosity, like, very progressive, very thoughtful, like, there's not, there's no dogma. If you want dogma, you're not going to be comfortable there because there's a lot of, like, I don't know, you know, like, it's looking at all, it's Judeo-Christian <laughs> yeah, faith, but it, there's a lot of, like, that, like, curiosity. And so they do this, what's called the OWL program there, our whole lives, and started teaching about sexuality very young. And when they had the group of all these different adults talk, and it was, it was astounding. It was like, of 40 adults going around talking about their experience, I would say 90 to 95% of them had either shame or like no connection with sexuality from, from, a, from their time with their parents. Yeah. And so I just realized how lucky I was that I didn't have that at all. You know, like I went home and talked, we would talk at the dinner table about everything. I was talking about sex ed. And I remember telling my dad about how he looked at sperm under a microscope. And my dad said, what was your science teacher doing at lunchtime? Ha ha ha. You know, like, <laughs> 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 yeah, oh, just, I love your dad. I love yeah, your dad. He is, That's awesome. He is so funny. And, you know, and in his mind, he would way have preferred now sex and movies. Now, I think it's a different story than 30 years ago, but he was, yes. we could see, like we saw Quest for Fire, you know, when I'm like nine years old, he would way prefer seeing sexual stuff than violence. And I think, yeah. wow, what a beautiful mindset that the human body and, and love between two humans and love for your own body should never be deemed as like inappropriate versus yes. violence is just like, I, you know, all the numbers. So Anyway, my yeah. that being said, my dad was my dad's a surgeon, but he's 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 just a beautiful person in so many ways, and I'm just so grateful. And my mom too. I mean, they're just I'm I'm really lucky. So I did I I had all the kind of ingredients for a, a really curious, entertaining academic background, and then I had three brothers to be extremely athletic and sporty <laughs> with. So. I had, I had it all, right? (laughs) Well, because my question, I was going to ask you a question of who has been your biggest inspiration, and I'm going to assume it's probably your parents. Oh, my parents. I think totally. I mean, I think we can all say having children, like our children are inspiration in a different way. They inspire us to like step up every day and be better. But my parents, from their influence was to be, my mom, you know, she had four kids in two and a half years. So she had my older brother. And then she got pregnant with us thinking she's going to have and two. all three of you at once. Yeah. Oh, like this is before fertility drugs. This is like, you know, she's like, what the hell? I said to her, 
We were born on Halloween, Sherry. And so she found out in June, they heard extra heartbeat. And so they didn't, ultrasound had just kind of been around, but they didn't yet trust it. They took an x-ray of her belly. And I said, (laughs) I said, well, well, what'd you think when you found out? She goes, she has this cute Mississippi accent. She goes, well, I was a little depressed. (laughs) I said, I would have been too, right? You know, That's an like, understatement. Right? I was a little depressed. Wait, I was going for one other baby. Now I got three. But anyway, my mom had four kids in two and a half years. and and But she would just lay down some amazing wisdom bombs over the years that just really stayed with me. And um, so, yeah, huge inspiration. My mom, I remember being in high school dating this guy who was like the senior and I was a freshman and he was like homecoming, all these things, you know. And I said, Mom, he's never gone out with anybody more than two times. And he's, this is my fourth date. I'm, and she's like, he's lucky to be going out with you. With you, yes. See, <laughs> and that was I was a good like, for her to say. Right? She goes, never put anybody on a pedestal like that. He's yeah. lucky to be, you know? And I'm like, whoa. And I just, those words, like, that is where we go wrong in our, in our yes. or we go off track is when we somehow yeah. think we're not deserving of something. And it was subliminal. I didn't even know it. I was, I was, I think a pretty confident person, but you know, I had kind of on paper put this like, wow, I can't believe how lucky I am. This guy actually you right. know, is going out with me. And my mom, my mom's like, no, he's lucky to be going out with you. <laughs> so I, you know, I think these are really, these are important messages. And she's, and she, they both gave me a lot of great messages. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm a grandmother now. My granddaughter just turned two. Oh, oh, segments of my daughter's life, I was busy just trying to keep my head above water. So I'm sure that I didn't have as much wisdom to partake as I would have liked to. But seeing this little person and coming at it from a much different perspective, she's not my responsibility every single day. Mm-hmm. And just wanting her to know that if she doesn't want to give somebody a kiss or a hug, she doesn't have to. And, and my daughter is big on that kind of stuff. Um, right. Just really, really does what's comfortable for her. She has her people that are important to her. And I just want her to grow up knowing, because I did that with my daughter, is you can do and be whatever you want to be. Yes. Don't let anybody tell you that because you're a girl or because you're a woman, and I'll never forget it. My daughter played softball just like I did. And I think she was in high school and they were playing a pickup game or something, PE or something. And some boy made a comment or something. And she said, mama, I walked right up and got in his face and said, I'm an athlete and you treat me like an athlete, not like a girl. Good. <laughs> Yay! I love it. I love it. That's awesome. So I, I think about things like that, that somehow made it through that I don't necessarily always remember, but that was just me living my life and being an athlete for all of those years. And you know, I worked in the tech industry back before women really worked in the tech industry. So she saw me do a lot of things that were non-traditional yeah. female paths to go in. I just, I want to make sure that Olivia gets that same thing. It's like, you know, baby girl, if you want to be a rocket scientist, you be a rocket scientist. If you want to go and pick weeds out in the garden, then you go and pick weeds and be the best damn weed picker there is. But I I find that a lot of the people that I come across, especially women, that they, I don't know if it's inherent or if it's something in how we were raised, those stories of generations being passed on from one generation to the next, to the next. So many people that I 
women that I have asked to share their stories have been, I don't really have anything that's earth shattering, or I don't have anything that's a big deal, or I don't really have a story. And it's like, yeah, you do. You do. Absolutely. You get up every day, don't you? And get dressed and go out and face the world. You got a yeah, story. You have a story. And I think it's because so many of them have never been asked to share their stories, or they don't feel that they're important or, you know, they're just so busy living their lives that they don't realize how much impact that that could have on even just one other person in their life. I always love to talk to other women to kind of hear it. So it's interesting to me to hear kind of how you were raised and kind of the path that you guys all kind of took. It's like, you're just, you had that sort of laid out in front of you from the standpoint of that's how you were raised. Things were open. They were honest. You talked about things. You learned about the body from probably a very young age. So to you, it was like, this is, that's just the natural way things are. And I think that that is incredible. I don't, assuming that you understand how unusual that is, because I, I don't think there's a lot of other people out there like you walking around in the world. Oh, well, I, I don't know about that, but yeah, I'm certainly grateful for just being raised in a family that were just interesting and interested. You know, to this day, my parents are still interested in life and learning. And, you know, my mom is such a great example. She came from Mississippi, a very poor rural area with a lot of, you know, at the time, racism, sexism, yeah. and that might still be there, you know, but she was the top of her class. She ended up moving to Missouri after her dad died in her teenage years. And then she went to this, she went to Duke University, very, very great school. And, um, and now she's probably one of the most progressive people I know, you know, <laughs> So like from where you came, right? Like that progressiveness, it, that liberal mindset, it, it should never be like just diminished at all or, or made fun of because what it really is, is critical thinking. And to come from somewhere where discernment, yes. discernment, where people are telling you something really different and you know that can be so on, in, in the rigid mind, that would just set there yes. like concrete and you would never change. And you're stuck, yes. And so the thing that I admire, I mean, many things I admire on my mom, but that is one, is she came from a background where she could have really been a very small-minded, and I mean small-minded because small-minded people don't aren't looking beyond themselves and right. around the world. So she's taught me that, if nothing else, is always be looking and learning, discovering, because and be willing to hear views that are not in line yes. with yours. And that, well, and, and that takes a certain amount of integrity and strength. Well, and it's just a thirst for knowledge. It's yes, a thirst, thirst to totally. learn about something outside of your own little world. And discerning thought process is huge because you can look at her and where she came from and where she is today. And like you said, she could have stayed in that same mindset, but something fueled her to continue to look for more, for more and learn more, and then be able to put it all together and figure out exactly how she felt about it herself outside yeah. of where she came from and outside of what someone else had to say. And that's incredible. Let me ask you this. What do you think that you believe that more women need to know in their lives? What do they need to know more of? Mm -hmm. I think women, what I have seen over the years in teaching from obviously mostly women in yoga is that we can do anything we put our minds to. And in fact, I feel like we have a responsibility because we are the majority. Hello. <laughs> and we are the, we're the matriarch. I mean, 
no one is getting anywhere without a woman. That's just, (laughs) and we have to really own that and in that support each other because we know that the system has historically not supported the matriarch. And then what's worse is when women don't support women. That to me, I do not understand. And so what I say women need more of is women need to support each other more. Like it should be a non-negotiable. If this woman is doing something, you should be applauding it. And, and, you know, as long as it's a good thing, obviously, but we should be applauding each other. And I worked on this a lot in my daughter's school and we did it at, this, at the yoga studio. It's called our girl power. I started doing it with Jen Pascaloff, but just languaging at this earlier age that there is not a finite amount of ness, like beauty or strength or athleticism or intelligence. And therefore, if somebody is this or that, if they're, if they're, you know, they win some competition that that somehow is taken away. We should be cheering each other on louder than anyone. I'm not sure what it is. My brother, I could interview my brother, John, about the evolutionary reason. I'm sure there is some reason that women couldn't be too supportive of each other. There's probably competition and all that. You know, our world, what our world needs now is a big team of women who are kicking ass and looking for the answers to how we take care of this bigger woman, the Mother Earth. And we need to like really get clear on that that is way more valuable than these industries that are built on breaking women down, that are benefiting on breaking women down. And that- Billions of dollars. Billions of dollars, you know, that are telling you, you need this, you're not this enough, and on and on and on. Like the amount of money that we could harness money and fuel and energy and positivity that we could bring together to really turn the mothership around because that is what that is really what haunts like if somebody says what wakes you up in the middle of the night it is where we are heading as a as on our earth like as a society and but we and we have it we have almost eight billion people and i mean we know that 55 percent of them are women like we could do so much so i'd say the answer is women need to support each other support each other, support each other. Boy. (laughs) And that's the, this, what you're talking about right here is why I created my platform. My website, this podcast grew out of that is the fact that we have been traditionally for generations pitted against each other Mm -hmm. because the patriarchy, which has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, somewhere in there, they got scared of the power of women. And so in order to control, hold down, keep small, they've pitted women against each other. They put women in subservient roles and we've lost the sense of connection and community and being able to be there for each other. I don't care whether you're economic status is different, your educational status is different, what your race is, what what you identify is as far as sex goes. We, as those who identify as female, can change the world if only we can get beyond that old programming Mm -hmm. and actually come together and bring all of the pieces that we are, right? And you're not ever going to make, you and I both know, you're never going to make everyone happy. Right. But there's a way to be able to come together to pick the things that are important, that are necessary, that are 
going to actually be able to change the world and believe that we're slowly waking up and that pendulum is slowly moving from too far in the masculine back to the center space. But I think that the masculine is going to, you know, it's going to be a fight to the middle for sure. Yes. But that's been my thing is that, and starting in school, you know, you get into middle school and you're too tall, you're too loud, you're this, you're that, you're not enough this, you're too much that. And it's like, it's already a hard enough time with all those hormones anyway to figure out who the hell you're supposed to be. And then you add all of that other stuff on there and then you need these clothes and this makeup and these shoes. It's just unbelievable to me. Um, one of the women that's will be on the podcast, she witnessed a murder of a 15-year-old little boy over a marijuana pipe. Oh my goodness. And so you think about things like that and what the the value of life and the value of connection and how denigrated that is. Yeah. As women, I believe we're the teachers, we're the nurturers, we're the ones that bring that lighter, brighter energy. And we need to turn up the wattage big time. We do. We're birthing all the babies, male and female. We're um, mo I mean, for the most part, raising them uh, in addition with our partners, of course, but it's also how you choose your partner. It's, yes. If you, you know, choose a partner <laughs> who is not valuing you, then you know, that's one thing I'll say to the younger women that I see is that at a, to a certain degree, you're kind of responsible for what you get because you're putting the bar up there. So if you set the bar low in terms of what you're going to deal with, if you're having the red, you know, a heterosexual relationship, I obviously have one of my best friends is in a very happy same sex relationship and, and they have different issues, but you know, that this isn't one of them. Right. If you are in the hetero relationship and you, you better demand equality, you better demand respect, like, or expect it. Like this isn't even something you have to demand. I say command it because that is part of it is what are you going to accept for yourself? And it's all of it. And you know, you, like you were saying, so many people are concerned about being liked or this. And, and I think that we need to be consistent. And our consistency is we're, we're kind, but we're strong. And we're also not going to, there's not, there's some non-negotiables within that as a woman. So I, but I think that we have to start with each other. I know that the, I have a lot of strong female relationships and it wouldn't even occur to me not to support another woman for any reason. But I know that is that, but some of that I, I actually, what I will say about it is I think I feel that way because I grew up in a very masculine world. I had three yeah. brothers. I was treated the same. There was no difference. My brothers treated me the same. If anything, I bossed them around. I mean, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I, I have the wiring much more of a male in many ways. Things yeah, that, me too. things that, yeah, things, and I often will get along with women who only have brothers or who have more of this because I'm just not interested in the bullshit a lot of the women can get into. Oh, God. The ways that you. they can, yes. you know what I mean? The ways they bond yeah. is over misery or over gossip and all these things. There's so many other ways to bond. And so I think that we have to do the work as, as a, uh, for females empowerment. And by the way, do you know my daughter's name is Olivia? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I did know that. Yeah. It was so interesting when I saw that and I was like, oh, baby Olivia Yay. has a namesake. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's such a beautiful name. Beautiful name. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things like you, I have two brothers, was raised in an environment. My dad came from a German and a Danish background and my grandfather was very much the iron-fisted 
German husband. Mm -hmm. When he passed away, I was a year old. My mom and dad had been married for five years and my grandmother didn't know how to drive a car. Mm. She didn't have a bank account. She hadn't really ever had a job because her job was taking care of the family and, you know, the house. And didn't really know how to do all of that. And my dad had to teach her how to do that. And even though my dad had some very traditional things, like when I was younger, you're going to, you're a girl, you're going to dress like a girl. Cause all I wanted to do was to wear Levi's to school. And that was not happening, but it was so interesting to me to see him go through, you know, teaching her how to drive, helping her get her bank account, helping, you know, she got a job and all of that. And I'll never forget when I went to graduate from high school, my dad was like, I want you to get a college education because I don't want you ever to have to rely on anybody to take care of yourself. That's so interesting. That that, you, that, that's exactly what my mom told me. She's like, never rely on anyone. She's like, it's not that I don't love your dad. I do, but I would would be really screwed if something happened because, you know, she was kind of in the cusp of like women working outside the home and not. Yeah. And then when she had four kids I was say, in a very short, kids, that probably wasn't enough. Took, yeah. <laughs> kind of took any, any option off the table because my dad was a surgical right. resident. But what she said to me was never rely on anyone else. And those words really, they just went right into my heart. And I, it sounds like dramatic, but it's actually really powerful because it's powerful to know, and that's the very yogic thing, is at the end of the day, you really, that's the non-attachment. When people talk about non-attachment and they talk about like, oh my God, that seems so dramatic. Of course, you have people that you love and all that. And it's like, yes, but at its very deepest essence, you should be fine just with you. If God forbid everything were to happen and you, you had nothing, but you had yourself, then that is true non-attachment, that you're okay with that and that everything else is just a gift on top of it. But when if you don't have that real strong sense of self and that ability to take care of yourself, then I think that's probably where a lot of this, the roots are just not, you know, they're not strong. And that's where it can lead to a lot of things. It's, you know, that kind of unfillable cup that a lot of women and maybe men as well tend to try and fill up with other things. Yeah, oh, well, and see, and you know, we, we all make mistakes. I've made more than my fair share, sometimes the same mistake more than once because I didn't learn it the first time. But it's, it, it's... Because <laughs> you're, tena- it's you're stubborn, thing. you're strong, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it takes a louder voice to that get done. <laughs> and I grew up with a lot of judgment And so that was sort of my pattern of behavior as well. It took, it took me a while to figure that out. I made some bad choices with the men in my life, have the scars to go along with that. But it's interesting to be able to look back now. And even on the days where I felt like I was just hanging on by my fingernails and the anxiety was off the charts, there was something there at a deeper level because I made it to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that as women, sometimes we forget that softness can still be strength. Absolutely. And sometimes is more powerful than force and aggression. Absolutely. And, but that's something I didn't have words for until later, until into my yoga practice and an instructor talked about having a soft open front and a strong powerful back and you know what that meant to me and so it that was those words and i was like oh my god okay i like that i could deal with that where do you feel like you're the most present 
in your life? Um, well, I mean, I feel, obviously I feel the most present, I would say, obviously, obviously to me, is when I'm moving on my mat or even in the woods with, and when I'm in, in really in my body moving, I feel really present. I feel that kind of moment to moment. And I feel that my even my mind doesn't have a desire to drift a lot. I'm really aware of senses and just maybe I have a thought, but I'm not attaching it and, and going with it somewhere. And certainly when I'm moving on my mat, I really feel like a vessel, very connected to just the feeling of the mat underneath me and my breath and my, the architecture of my body and all that. That is always a clear, present feeling. And um, just say being with being with animals makes me feel really present. Yeah, I like to work on being as present as I can with my family, and but those you know those, that I have to remind myself more. It's not always autom- <laughs> It's not you know it's just not as automatic. Yeah. When we are doing something together that is not kind of entertaining us, but we're being in like when we play a family game or something, and when we're around the table and we have those moments, it feels very present. And then there's moments we want to watch a movie together and, and we're very present just being there, but it's just a different type of thing. Right, but I think I have connection. to, yeah, where my practice comes in is being present in the moment to moment where I'm not moving. With the kids now, it's easier too, because I have pockets of time with them, not, not when they're little, you know, where it was more like, right. sometimes it was just a blur. And I'm like, was <laughs> I, was I even there? <laughs> Was I even there today? I don't even know. So so that's that's what I'm realizing now, spending time with my granddaughter, because I'm in a different phase in my life. I I don't have, I mean, I have a lot going on, but my time with her is about my time with her. We go to the zoo. We go to the park. We go get cocoa in the morning and throw pennies in the pond. Those are the kinds of things that I don't like you said, when my daughter was little, sometimes it was just a blur. It yeah. was just yeah. trying to keep all the pieces moving. And so that's interesting. And, and it makes me think about the analogy of when I played ball and you get in the zone mm-hmm. and your, your body is just moving and everything is working together and your brain is talking and everything is just this flow. And it's like, that's when I know I'm the most present. And it's the space where I feel like I'm not really overly striving. I don't, I don't know. No, I know what you mean. I, yeah, I totally. And that's where I feel like I'm kind of the most successful in my yoga practice is because I'm not even thinking about what it looks like or what I'm doing. I just feel I'm fully in it. And I think that that's when, so when somebody asks me like, well, how do you do this? Or like, what do you feel about the fact you can do this. And I'm like, I don't know. All I'm doing is really feeling it and challenging myself, but challenging myself. I mean, balancing on my hands or balancing my feet, like on my feet is sometimes a lot harder, (laughs) you know? So, (laughs) um, but yeah, it is more of that. Like, yeah, what you're saying, like it's suspended. It's just like, I'm there, but I'm, there's not a thought of like what it looks like. It's totally what it feels like. And that is, I'm grateful I have that hard wiring in me. And I think kind of like too. you, it comes from that years of just being in my body and athletic and all of that. And moving. But, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I've been moving for so much of my life that not moving to me is like 
that's that's when I'm like the least present, you know, like that's like, you know, having to sit for hours at a time. It's just like, oh, my God. And it's and the funny thing is, is, you know, I've done it. I've been in gyms. I did, you know, group classes and I work full time in a gym right now. So it's it's always interesting to me. It's like I don't care how I'm moving. I just need to move. Yeah. And all of a sudden someone someone will come to me and say, when was the last time you went for a beach walk or just got on the treadmill or, or did something? Cause you're a little cranky. <laughs> those are good. Those are good friends. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes. They're they reminding are. you. If, yeah. If you could have a giant billboard with any phrase on it, what would it be and why? Oh my gosh. I love so many quotes, but I would say one that I had in my childhood that always comes up and I actually put it in my daughter's room and she loved it too. And it's actually Nadia Comaneci in a very like complete, it wasn't the pose. It was just the, the feeling, you know, she's like in a full V sit or something. And the quote is, don't pray for an easy life, pray to be a strong person. And that being said, I'm not really a prayer person anyway. So it's like, I don't know what, but something about that is like, it's that direct your energy where you want it to go, right? Not where you don't want it to go. And so maybe right. that would be the thing is direct your energy where you want it to go and then go fully, live fully. This idea that there's a shortcut like, oh, life is going to be easy. You don't know. So get strong and be strong because then you'll be able to handle whatever life gives you. But just praying for something to be a little bit easier isn't necessarily, that's not the work I want to do. I want to do something I want to do something really, really big with my life. It doesn't have, it only has to be big for me. If I feel like I'm contributing and doing my part, that feels like I'm fulfilling that purpose and I'm stepping into that role, then that's what really matters. But not, not just kind of watching things go by and picking apart what's not going well, but just really stepping into it. And so directing my energy in a very clear way of for, for what I want and, and what I want to contribute because I feel very called to con- to help those who don't have a voice. That's my biggest mm, heart yeah, that's a, line. That's, yeah. 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 Very much so. When does bravery become foolhardy? Well, I would say to my son when he was skateboarding, I said, you can be fearless, but not reckless. And so there's a line where you can be brave when you need to be, when it's required of you to step up, but you don't have to, foolhardy means like almost like you're proving something that might have an emptiness to it, you know? So I think bravery is something that's not shown in a, in a, in a really visible way. Like a flashy way. It's not a flashy way. Bravery is like, there's so many people that you know, and that's when I, when I get, if I get ever snarky or dark, which is very, very little of the time, but I'm like, why are we spending billions watching these kind of silly people <laughs> develop, you know, a makeup <laughs> brand or this and like putting them on all these covers when there are people who are doing incredible work in the world, incredible work that are helping yeah. saving species from extinction and discovering new ways of nobody even knows about them. You know, it's kind of like, yep. I always thought it was really funny. Discovering ways to get rid of your trash. Yes. I mean, like (laughs) why, where, like where we put our, like where we direct our energy as a society sometimes is, is questionable. 
anyway, that, so the brave people are the ones that are doing it and not asking for attention. They're doing it because they know it's the right thing to do. And so that, I, love that. I just think they're just, those are two different pockets of people. Brave people are never asking for a trophy or award or to stand on some pedestal. They are doing it. Yeah, it is just, it is totally from their heart. You know, it's like, I think in the 9-11, because I was uh, in New Jersey when that happened. And, you know, the people who just ran into the burning buildings and it's like, they didn't do that for anything, for any other reason, except that that was what they that that is what they that was the right thing for them that was the right thing like it's just so people could say well that was foolhardy you might like this is a burning building like just on paper but it's like no this is brave people do things because it's benefiting something greater too i think that's truly what it is well and, and i think that brave people lead with their heart yeah in their heart that it's it's what speaks to them and it's what's right for them in that moment and some of them don't even realize that it is brave. I mean, bravery, I believe, is very quiet. Very, I was going to say it's, it's so quiet. Things. You don't, there's nothing, like you said, flashy. That's a good word. There's nothing flashy. And I think it's, it's also that consistency. I'm really, yes. and I, I'm sure you're the same way. Year after year, what I strive for the most and what I value is really when someone is consistently the same person that they're, that they're just, they stick to their values. There's no, and that's some could say is brave because sometimes it's not, you know, it's very much against the grain, but yeah. um, that kind of like that to me is, is when you're, yeah, when you're leading with your heart, no matter what. What do you do for yourself to create space for your creativity to flourish? Well, I would say I'm in a really creative space right now because I've hired people to do the stuff I don't like to do. <laughs> Good for you. You know, I really think, and when I advise people, because a lot of people will come to me and they see what I'm doing, and I and I'm really aware of the fact that I have a great gig. I so appreciate it. I love it. People are always like, "How did you decide to do?" And some of it was really organic. It was not like I had a plan. I did lead a lot from my gut instincts, but I have a really great job because it's my passion, and it's not a job. It's a real vocation. But with anything you do, there are parts that are not as exciting and quite frankly, yep. can be really draining. And I think yes. that's when your creativity is dull, when you're so kind of drained from the other stuff. So what I've gotten really good at is being clear about what I don't want to do and what I am not good at. And so over the years, there's been before I could really afford a lot to pay people, I would trade or, you know, I would do different things. Right. And yeah. that's a great way to start when you, you, cause you have something to give and, and somebody has like a, the bartering system, you know? So, right. yeah. um, I, and then just asking for help. People want to help you. If they see that you're doing something yes. that you're in love with, they want to help you. And then in return, you'll help them, you know? So I would say there's, there's just, I, I'm in a really good space because I'm feeling super creative because I don't, I'm not bogged down with the things that I'm not good at. Well, and I remember back in some of my 
previous corporate years where, you know, they made you do those tests that would show where your strengths and weaknesses were and you were supposed to build up your weaknesses. And it's like, I finally went to work for someone who was like, no, we're going to maximize your strengths and we're going to take other people on the team that are strong in the areas where you're not and have them do those pieces. And I mean, that was a revelation to me for the first time for somebody to say, I want you to focus on what you're strong in and let go of the shit that you're not good in. And it was just like, okay. Amazing. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Leverage your strengths. It's so, and this is where I've done a lot of reading and I, cause I geek out on all this stuff. And there was a study that was done (laughs) where they, they, they gave like the reading program, speed reading program to people who were really slow and then to like pretty fast readers. And so the slow people, they increased their speed two to three times. The fast people in, increase their speed eight times. So it's like, you know what I mean? They were already fast, but you're like, yeah. give, it just you shows you. gave the you, tools to make it even. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, you're you, like, leverage your strengths because then who knows what could happen. And that's, so that's what, I, that's what I've done really well is I've leveraged my strengths and that then that leads me to feel really happy. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because our educational system is not set up that way. No, at it all. points out you, all the you things either, you don't know and are do, not correct. good at. You have yeah. to be that round peg mm-hmm. that fits in that round hole. Because if you're not round and you don't fit in that hole, then you're struggling your entire life of yeah. being in school. Yeah, and you know they just they don't teach practical things that people need to know. It's interesting to me because I've done a lot of business management and money management at how many people, doctors and other people that I came across when I worked in the technology industry that were incredibly brilliant at what they were doing, but they didn't know how to run a business. Yes. You can't stay in business if you don't know how to run your business. Now you can hire people that can help you, but you still have to be able to have an overview and be paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Cause invariably, if you don't, those are the times that somebody comes in and they find that hole and they take advantage of it. And then after it's all over with, you're left going, well, what the hell happened? Well, I can tell you what happened. Right. And that's what <laughs> happened. Yeah. Into what was going on. That's what happens with a lot of yoga teachers who decide to open up a studio and they really, you know, have this desire to have their own place and space. But a lot of them aren't very successful because you also have to learn how to run. You can't just think it's going to all happen because it's not. It is. It becomes a business at that point. It still is teaching yoga. It still is providing a wonderful service that you you do have. And I that was something I I learned a lot, and I was interested in it too. So I thought it was very. I had done some of some of that on my own beforehand. But yeah, you have to, you have to learn about it. You do, and and you know you have to learn about money management, and you have to learn about profit and loss, and and mm-hmm. where you have to be willing to be open to look at what things you're doing to maybe advertise your business that are actually bringing you money and the things that are actually sucking the money and, and not getting the return on investment. And it's just so interesting to me. I, like I said, I work in a a fitness facility and it is, it's privately owned by a couple and they've owned it now for 16 years. And that's a long time Mm -hmm. for a health facility to be in business. And they excel at one treating their employees like their family. Mm -hmm. 
to creating community so that when the people come in, whether it's the older folks that come in to take the classes or whatever it is, that there is a space where these people feel connected in the community. And for some of them, that's the only space that they feel connected in the community. So it's just, it's been such an interesting experience to work in this environment and be able to have somebody who understands that family is important. Yeah. That there is more to living than just what you bring to your job every day and, you know, living by example and admitting when you make mistakes and moving on. And so it's just, it's been an incredible learning experience for me on top of just seeing the financial aspects of how all of that works. I look at stuff like that as I'm just trying to kind of figure out what I want to do in the next phase of my life and where I want to go. And the thing that for me that has come along through all of this and that I found in yoga, I mean, that's the same thing I found in sports and in dance was connection and community. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's why there are so many people presently in our political situation that feel unheard, unseen, unappreciated, is that we don't have that sense of community, that sense of connection, that sense of, I belong to a greater whole than just myself. Mm -hmm. You know, that tribe, even though some people will say tribe mentality is, you know, has a negative connotation, but we are not hardwired as human beings to be alone. We are hardwired to be a part of the tribe, Mm -hmm. to be a part of the community. And I just feel that there are so many people that are missing that in their lives. We have so many ways to stay connection and yet stay connected and yet there are so many people that are lonelier than they've ever been in their entire lives. Yes, absolutely. And that's one thing that at my studio, it's kind of funny, this is another thing that's like not very yoga question, you know, quote unquote, is that people at my studio are really kind of raucous. Like they you know, it, they're better now. Some They go through their periods where I'll come in and everybody's talking and talking and talking. And, you know, it might take me like, it's. I, sometimes I'm like, this is like summoning kindergartners. Like, and I always <laughs> joke and we all laugh. And I'm like, this is so much, but this is what I wanted. I didn't want yes. to walk into a sterile room where people are sitting and closing their eyes and shutting off. I, I know that some people need that or feel like they need it or feel like they need this kind of like austere kind of sacred space. but what I see people need is what they're doing, which is connecting. Yes. And they often will say, I love this studio because I'm meeting people I would not have otherwise met. And I'm like going out with them to lunch and, and talking with them and, and hearing about, you know, little aspects of their family. And I'm like, you know what? I can deal with it being a little bit raucous and rowdy at times and less yoga serenity because this is what people need. This is what people need yes. now. They yes. need more of the, hey, how are you? Oh my God, did you take this class? Oh my gosh, you did blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like this catching up and connecting than they do that closing off and being- um, Walling themselves off on yeah, that. Yeah, I, I really, I'm so, sometimes people from other studios will come in and, and they're like, hmm. Uh, but, you know, I will say none of them really seem to have judgment, but I'm sure that- some will sometimes be like, what? You know, I'm also, I'm a little bit laid back with stuff because I'm like, I'm not there. I'm not people's parents. They are going to behave. No. I am not yes. going to tell them, don't bring your phone in. Don't do this. Nobody has their phone on, but I don't know anyone's situation. I know this kid, right. this kid, this mom has a kid with diabetes, diabetes. And I know this one has somebody at home. 
So, but I'm not their parent. They're, they're an adult. Right. And if they, if they're respectful, then I'm not going to, you know, I don't like, I'm not making those kind of rules. Some people would totally disagree with me, but what I want is a loving, supportive community. And part of that is me yes. being supportive and calling anybody out on bad behavior, whether it's bad alignment or talking with, you know, too much, like I'll do that too, because right. I'm there for it all, but I don't really need right. to do much of that. So. Well, you don't need to be the the bad cop. Well, and no. the interesting thing for me is that there occasionally are times when I'm teaching and the cell phone goes off and I just go, Joe's Bar and Grill, Joe speaking. <laughs> That's what you got to do, right? Like, like, yeah, right? I mean. But, but, you know, I mean, I, for seven years when I taught at the PT facility, all of the students that came, they created this whole community. And if somebody didn't show up to a few classes, someone would say, you know, have you called them or emailed them or talked to them or, yes. you know, are, and because a lot of them were older people, you know, are, is so-and-so okay? I know they had surgery and, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, those are the kinds of things that are important. And I would sometimes, most times I don't come to class till right at time to start because I want them to have that moment before class starts to connect with each other. And then I walk in and plug in and then we're all there together. And then we talk after class. I'm the same way. Together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, I just, I just, it's, it's, it's wonderful. important that they have that time alone mm -hmm. to do it without, you know, me being the teacher yes. in the room. Yes. I totally and, agree. They, um, and people need that connection. And, and, and for all we know, they might not be having much more of that the rest of the day. So it's super important. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm so glad that we could make this work. Yes. I know that you are incredibly busy, but just finding you and finding those words and finding all of those things that just reconfirmed for me that for what I was doing, I was in the right space. And then you gave me new words to use. And then there's Mo I know. and the interloper and the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> the whole cast of characters. I know. It really is. Really. It's never a dull moment. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that I can have you come back on. I want to do a panel discussion with several other yoga instructors to talk about the state of yoga and what people feel is the next space and how does all of that work together and what people feel about that? Because I think that those are important conversations to have. I do too. And I just think that not talking about it or saying, well, you know, that's not real yoga or that's cultural appropriation or there's this or there's that. And it's like, I want to be aware and respectful, but I also have to deal with the fact that I'm dealing with people that come to my classes that don't live in India, that don't have bodies that are Indian, that don't have that kind of heat, they don't have that kind of diet, they don't have that culture. Mm -hmm. And it's still important for them to find places to be able to move, to breathe, to release their bodies, to find range of motion, to heal when they have injuries or illness. And I think that, I mean, for me, that's the place of serving from my heart is trying to guide them to find those spaces. And Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so, well, they're lucky to have you. Yeah. I mean, you, that, 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 that would be, I would love to have that conversation because I think it is worth having a bigger circle of people practicing yoga and coming up with a much more fluid definition of what it is. And at its essence, from the beginning of yoga, thousands of years ago, when people talk about it, it has been about raising consciousness. And that's a pretty fluid term. Yes. And 
fluid in not the sense that consciousness is fluid, but that that, that can be practiced in many different forms. And I'm yes. much more interested in how someone is taking the applications of what they learn on the mat and living in their life with nice. with an open heart and kind words for each other. That to me is the practice of yoga, not whether you do this or that or do it in a particular order or chant or whatever. All those are different practices and they're all fine, but they're not limited to that either, I believe. My whole thing around the aspect of diving into the spiritual practice is the same way I feel about religion, is that that's not my place. I firmly believe, because that's what I practice myself, is that if you feel interested in learning more about the spiritual practice, that there are books to read, there are videos to watch, there are things that you can go out to sample, to learn, to educate yourself, and then you can make a decision. What I feel about spirituality is not necessary. I don't believe in gurus. I don't believe in people having the one true message. I think that, and, and over time in your life, that changes what that looks like. And so I, I just truly want people to respect and honor that and to be able to feel free to go out and explore that on their own. If they have questions, I might answer them or give them some direction. And I've had comments about, oh, well, you don't do a very spiritual practice. Oh, you know? my gosh. <laughs> I've had this comments, too. But when people take my class, they often, if they stay there long enough for a couple of times, they, they really feel different. And, and the reason I've even had in my teacher training saying like, oh, my gosh, I always come in here for the anatomy. When people leave, they never talk about, oh, I learned so much anatomy. Of course, they knew that. Sorry, I'm getting all dark. But they talk about how it changed their lives. Because what yes. I, and I'm so in line with you here, I want to set somebody up for an experience, but I'm not going to tell them how to feel. And I'm not going to tell them no. what that experience is. That's their experience. Um, but if you can correct. set them up for it, then that is more, that is more of spiritual enhancement than anything. And I find personally, the people that have, that have moved me the most talk about the spirituality stuff the least because it yeah. doesn't need to be talked about if you're leading from this place of often, you know, integrated authenticity. People just, they want more of that. They don't, um, it isn't to say that there aren't people who can say the right things and all that, but I agree with you. It's like, I'd rather set people up to feel their own, own stuff and not stuff it down, but to feel it and to yes. examine where they have negative talk with themselves when they have these dis disempowering thoughts, like how they can change that. Because that, that's what changes everything. When all of a sudden you become your own best friend and you had been your worst enemy, you know, it's like, okay, no matter words, change somebody's belief. They have to feel it and work it. And then, then they actually know it. It's not the reverse though. And the science no, and has shown that, by the way, it's, they've shown that yes. it is through the physiology that you will change the way you think. And then that's how the, the way you, what you believe will change. It's not that you read, somebody reads something to you and all of a sudden you're going to change it. You, you have to do the physiological work. You, I was going to say, you have to do the work. And, and for me, it's like when I teach, 
I just make myself, I tell, you know, stories about silly things that I do or things that happen in my personal practice or whatever it is, because I don't want them to see me as this gilded instructor sitting up on the lily pad <laughs> imparting the wisdom. Right. You know, th this is, this is the stuff I live every day too. And I, I teach a noontime class on Fridays and sometimes that room is packed with 24 people at noon on a Friday. Mm. And that many people show up for class and it's, it's a palpable energy in the room. And it's, it's only happened with a few other classes that I, that I have where those, there's a core consistent group that shows up and then there are other people who kind of come and go, but it's this thing where I watch them walk through the door, their posture changes, their energy changes, and they've come in and they have this expectant look on their face. Like what kind of a journey is she going to take us on today? And uh. that just fuels me to go, you know what? I want to have so much fun with this. And then I'll say, well, I was looking at Laura's thing today. So we're going to do this and this. So just have a sense of humor and let's have some fun. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. You're going to have to send me a photo sometime or a video. I'd love that. <laughs> I'll do that. Well, I don't want to keep you because I know you're on vacation yeah. and I appreciate you so much taking time out of your vacation to meet with of me today. Course. And I look forward to doing this again and just building some more connection with you because I just am really glad that we met. I am too, Sherry. Thank you so much for um, having me and I'm really honored to be on here. And until next time, I'll keep up with the videos of Mo. <laughs> for you. <laughs> Yay, Timo, Timo. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks again. All right. Sending you hugs. Bye.